This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Pop in and see them, whether it's for lunch, nice weather, you can sit outside on the deck, or maybe sit in the dining room, delicious food. Then they also have a great full bar, large dining area, and you're going to love the lounge. The Lodge Pub and Eatery. People rave about their delicious, consistent, great food and also the great staff. I'll see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. So Friday night uh, was a very dramatic night. If you haven't seen the video of it, I was on scene for uh, over four hours outside in Cranston, the Adult Correctional Institution, prison maximum security. And at, as I am right now speaking these words, uh, I don't believe what the McKee administration, the narrative putting forward, it doesn't match what we witnessed on Friday night. Now, if you visit topetro.com, uh, I've spoken to numerous people that work there, connected there, and the narrative that the McKee people are putting out, it, it simply doesn't make sense to say, let's, let's look at what, what actually happened which was at 7 o'clock, from 7 o'clock at night, 7 p.m. till 2 a.m. Saturday morning, they were essentially an emergency um, situation at the ACI. And Governor McKee is saying that, oh, there were two inmates involved in a fight, and that's why everything went to lockdown. You check the video. You tell me if that seems to make sense. I'll tell you, I've spoken to people that work there, and they had to visit. They had to remove. You had civilians that had to be removed uh, from inside the ACI. You had correctional officers. They were all employees of the Department of Corrections, but you have uh, employees that needed um, to be ex um, extracted from the ACI. If you check to Petro.com, I have what so far. Uh, numerous sources is the most accurate depiction of what took place which was there was a fight gang members a new gang member showed up rival gang someone punched him a correctional officer went to break it up and then one of the gang members uh, punched the correctional officer breaking his nose you had a number of inmates that were outside in the yard at this time they then announced because of the fight they were going to lock everybody down and that's when things went sideways. But if you check depetro.com and folks, check out the website. I have the video from that night. The inmates, now Governor McKee, keep in mind, the administration is saying two inmates were involved in a fight. Okay, that's true, but that's what sparked it. What then ended up happening was the inmates in the yard. I was there. We were live. You can see the video. Over 60 inmates, they broke into the tool shed they had hammers they had screwdrivers they had shovels they had all different types of you know basically became weapons over 60 of them they were refusing to go inside they were ready for battle with the correctional officers that's why this went on they had hammers shovels uh, screwdrivers that's why this went on so long this ended at 2 a.m now i was there on scene you could see all the different officers arriving you did have now a lot of it is um correctional officers they have their own special type of swat i don't want to get caught up in titles we saw a tremendous amount of state police that were on scene cranston police were there but we didn't observe them going inside so, but it was a very much more volatile situation than what Governor McKee um, announced it was. We're hearing that he was telling prison officials he wanted to try to downplay the incident. Uh, there's obviously been a lot of tension in maximum security. These are the most dangerous inmates at the ACI. But for us to believe, or the McKee people, it's coming from the governor. He didn't issue a statement until three hours in. It was, without question, an emergency. Now, I know some people are trying to argue whether or not it was a riot. I'm not going to get into debate over words. It was an emergency situation. You saw incredible amount of resources being deployed inside the facility. 
And the fact of the matter is you had inmates who would not comply, inmates who suddenly had access to weapons. A hammer's a weapon. A shovel is a weapon. A screwdriver's a weapon um, from inside that tool shed. And you did have Department of Correction officials that needs to, needed to be removed and removed safely from that whole equation. So I didn't, I couldn't believe when we were hearing about it, and it did start. The fact that they had to be extracted, both correctional officers and civilians, tells you a lot. Uh, but I believe this is, to me, it's another example, and we'll find out. But all due respects to the people at the Department of Corrections, I, I just I don't believe the they did put out a statement, released a statement, and they try to limit it to somehow that it was just almost like two um, inmates had some kind of an altercation, and then they almost want to give you the impression it was like an overreaction. It was not an overreaction. What they're leaving out, their statement, Friday evening incident, maximum security required a lockdown, um, responded immediately, assisted emergency personnel, um, and then they, they talk about it prompted a response with a fight and then a correctional officer, and then they go out of their way to try to say, you know, the inmates refused to return to inside the facility, and then they, uh, what they did then, they basically surrendered at 2 a.m., but if you want to see the video, you want to know what really happened. It's not what Governor McKee put out with his statement, where they were essentially trying to downplay it to give you the impression, oh, okay, it was just a fight between two of the inmates. That is not what happened. They had a very volatile situation. They had a very dangerous situation. You had prisoners that are there for life, uh, supposedly, and they had weapons, and they were ready to fight those guards, or correctional officers, excuse me. Um, when I mention the word guard, I'm not trying to be um, disrespectful to correctional uh, officers. You try to use terminology that regular people would understand. People understand SWAT. I understand uh, they understand SWAT and prison guard. I understand there's other terms for that, but try to use terms that people will understand. Again, check it out on DePetro.com. You're listening to The John DePetro Show. AdMed Urgent Care. Walk-in urgent care center, all your medical needs. They're open seven days a week, doctors and nurses. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center, 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. Again, they're open seven days a week at Med Urgent Care. When you need urgent care without the wait now, when I've been in that situation and I needed urgent care, that's where I went. If you want to go to an emergency room and have a long wait, well, you're free to do that. Otherwise, do what I did. Go to at Med Urgent Care, whether it's work-related, maybe someone's not feeling well, someone needs stitches, whatever it may be. At Med Urgent Care, comprehensive outpatient urgent care facility. There's two locations, one near you, Johnston, right in the Atwood Medical Center, and also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich. That's right across from Felicia's. When you need, and I need urgent care, you want AtMed Urgent Care. Again, two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston in the Atwood Medical Center, and 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich. Seven days a week, doctors and nurses, AtMed Urgent Care. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2 and 1380. 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, thepetro.com. Time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, he's the managing editor, anchorrising.com. It is Justin Katz. And Justin, the CD1 special primary coming up Tuesday after Labor Day. Major developments in the race. Last week, WPRI Channel 12 unleashed a bombshell of a story on one of the candidates that initially... Certainly seemed like he was going to be, be a player. He was well-financed. Businessman from Jamestown, Don Carlson. Uh, they first released part one of a story. Carlson people refused to sit down for an interview on it. it had to do with he was making overtures to a college student, uh, having to do with a dating site. And, and essentially almost it seemed like he was offering this graduating senior $5,000 to date him, some kind of a relationship. Anyway, the Carlson people denied it. He released a video end of last week, and now we get word 
with the pending WPRI Channel 12 debate that Don Carlson has dropped out of the race. I'd like to hear Justin Katz's thoughts on just, you know, the WPRI reports, how Carlson handled it, and your thoughts on what have led to this guy dropping out of the race. Well, I think the, the biggest lesson of this is, is for candidates. And it, it was such a, such a strange thing. It wasn't even that Carlson denied the story. I mean, he came out uh, to some extent the Victory Fund, which is a, a, a lobbying group trying to elect gay and lesbian and other alphabet folks to office. They came out very harshly uh, against WPRI. And this is an attack on on gay people and and it was it was just such a they they dug in so quickly when even carlson's final statement suggests that you know there's there's something there i mean his story is it's a misunderstanding uh you know you you could argue that uh he was still kind of vague but you could argue that under no circumstances should any professor or especially younger teacher should should be at all looking at stu- the student body as a potential de- source of dates, whether it's a misunderstanding or not, it oughtn't be on your mind. That's what I would argue. But I mean, he had a more compelling, all right, well, we know there was a misunderstanding about this and that and the other thing. Fine. It's a little late now. You, you dug in, you went after one of the major news sources around here, yeah. come claiming they were going after you because of your, your sexual orientation, which, by the way, is ludicrous. The scandal would have right. been 20 times worse if it had been a female uh, student rather than a male student for a male professor. That that would have been a Me Too. It would have been you know, the rich white man preying on women on campus. It had nothing to do with being gay. And so, I mean, that shows you the identity politics is really ultimately just a shield for, for privileged people in some circumstances. But so he, he went about it completely wrong. I mean, they, the, the first I heard of it was reporters talking about how he had hired three lawyers to try to get them to, to kill the story, which... Yeah which to, to reporters and also to the audience is, hey, smoke, fire. You know, that, that's, right. it, that's it's not a, it was such a terrible handling. If he had, to begin with, insisted, okay, look, Tim White, I will give you immediate direct access, but it's got to be a sit-down conversation. You've got to, you got you can't cut up my speech. You got to give me at least a minute or so of running time to, to get my point out there. Uh, they would have probably said yes, and he could have, gotten right to the oh it was a misunderstanding and there still may have been some blowback but that would have been far preferable but what amazes me is the idea that carlson and or the victory fund didn't say for seemed it seems like they didn't say first wait is there anything to this i mean that, right. that got it. and the lesson for candidates is assume assume your dirt is gonna come out <laughs> Just even if it's the most obscure thing you did when you were 10, assume it's going to come out. If you think of it, somebody else might and it might get reported because, I mean, we sus- you can suspect some uh, other uh, some of his opposition, their research team found this and called up Tim White and said, hey, I've got a story for you, which and that's the, the second kind of point I take from this. I'm not I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the model where an opposition research team from a political candidate finds dirt anonymously hands it to a journalist who starts to dig and voila scandal that knocks somebody out of a political race. I, I, that seems to me like there ought to be some, I don't think legal controls, but certainly some ethical controls in journalism. Of course it's, it's tough because if, if you're known as a journalist, who's going to out your sources, your source, you're not going to have sources. They'll just go to somebody else, but it is an area where we, we really need to think about as a society. Do we do, is this how we want this to work? My answer is, is no, but I'm, I'm not sure what the preferable course is. Other yeah, than candidates being prepared. That's a tough one, Justin, only because what's there's also an interesting dynamic here is I think when Carlson, because there was no formal action at Williams College, it almost seemed he may have thought, OK, like that's in the rearview mirror. He didn't even attempt to come to some agreement with them. But I think a big part of the story was Williams College, who initially wouldn't comment them saying the Carlson spin of he he his term was up so he wasn't going to back to teach anyway. Williams College saying that's a relief to us because he's not welcome back here. That that certainly, you know, speaks volumes. Um it's also a different dynamic, Justin. I'm glad you touched on it. And that is this was and I don't remember in the past any type of story like this of a male candidate, openly gay and then these allegations, he was offering some kind of financial reward to a young 
young man if he would engage in some kind of a dating relationship. As much as he says it was a misunderstanding, I, I don't think it was a misunderstanding. I think just the student, you know, rejected him outright. Uh, another student, who knows who it was, saw that. But um, the fact, I what I like is how you hit on his first reaction was his people wanted to talk off the record. Channel 12 would not. And the, he hired lawyers to try to get them to bury the story. I'll tell you, Justin, what I find refreshing with WPRI Channel 12 is they didn't back off the story because I'm telling you there is different the way broadcast has changed. There's plenty of others, especially in radio, that would have come to you and say, hey, that's it. Get off that story. We're not doing that story. So um, at the very least, regardless of how it came about, and I, I don't disagree with you on oppo research, but it's not as if they, whoever it was gave them a false lead. There really was something here. Oh, sure. I, I, it, 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 there was smoke. There was enough to investigate. Yeah. And Carlson's team and their surrogates handled it very, very poorly. Uh, but it, I think it's, it is worth, I mean, you don't know. They, they, don't, they never disclose this, right? They'll, they'll disclose a lot of things. Um, I know when I, as whenever I'm, I've been in more in a, a policy or public light, suddenly uh, his organization's funded by the Koch brothers or something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's usually ridiculous, but they, they dig into it. This is an area where you have no transparency. You you don't know where the story is coming from, and and right. that, so as you're trying to assess it to, at the early stages, like is there something here? There seems to be smoke, but what's going on? It's 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 important to know this came from uh, you know if you think back to you know the Russia Gate, you know this this came from a Hillary Clinton opposition researcher. You know right. it's, it it changes the way you react to the story as an initial right. thing, and I think that's it's it's unfair, and I think it's it's one of the kind of icky dirty ways of our our politics interacts with our media that that we really should give some thought to yeah and and just finally on this i also uh, agree with you the way the victory fund first reacted was they slammed channel 12 and uh, said this is another example of homophobic type reporting um what, what does that tell you justin an organization like that their first now they're left with no one they started with the him and uh, nick Oriello had dual endorsements now this liberty fund I think the Victory Fund, excuse me, they don't have anyone in the race. But what does it tell you that their first reaction or someone fed it to them was attack the news organization and basically call them homophobic for doing the story? Right. Well, it's, it's sort of like the New York congressman who, who defended Matos and went after the local news media. I yeah. wonder if because Victory Fund I, I, is, as far as I know, is, an, is a national group. It's not just Rhode Island. Is. So they're, they're yeah. used to news markets where... There, there's more partisanship, perhaps, where where you've got both sides. So one pay, one media organization might be more reliably Democrat, and one that's going after a candidate, a gay candidate, is probably more conservative. And so that might be a, a good play for them in their mar- in other markets. But there's there's all, it, we're we're one color here in Rhode Island. We're all just yeah. blue, right? I mean, I, I'm not, but the the state is, the I media understand. is there, and so I, I think they might just be misunderstanding the the dynamic here, which is interesting. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorrising.com, right here on the John DeVito Show. Get your driveway paved. J. Perry Paving. Letter J. J. Perry Paving. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, over 25 years experience, specialized commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating, Call for a free estimate today, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. Hey, learn about the benefits of asphalt paving. Whether it's a brand new paving project or a cracked driveway, it's affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Asphalt can be recycled, reused. J. Perry Paving, a licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting your needs, no matter how big, how small contact them today for a free quote 401-732-1730 what a difference it makes for your driveway for your business parking lot j letter j j perry paving 401-732-1730 online at jperrypaving.com and look for them on facebook
Our segment is politics this week. With us is Justin Katz. Justin, um, staying with CD1 race, what does this do for the early voting? Now, you know, you and I have discussed it. I've been adamantly against it. I don't think the Republicans at the Rhode Island State House have done enough. All of this talk of Nellie Gobea and everyone else about people being disenfranchised. What does this happen with the Carlson people that voted for him and now he's pulled out of the race? Right. Well, it's a great point. I mean, it was over even a few days ago, I think it was over 4,000 people had already voted. Yes. Um, we don't know how many voted for Carlson, but um, it, it certainly does have an effect. And, and it is it goes to that. There, there's a reason you, you narrow everything down to one day, except for rare exceptions like military overseas and that kind of thing. Um, but you narrow it down to one day and, and that's how it goes. This, this months, weeks, months of voting Ridiculous. sets you up for this. I mean, imagine, imagine a difference if, I don't know, Matos, if the board of elections did its job and, and knocked right. Matos off the ballot, imagine that, or, or imagine if she drops out now, or there's a scandal about Regenberg or, or whatever. I mean, you could have a situation where, I mean, it's not implausible. We've talked many times about how the people winning on election day end up losing because of mail ballots and early voting. Matt, you could have a situation where the person who wins the election isn't even in the race anymore. That's a good point. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just it, that's that would be extreme, but it could happen, and at some point it will if we keep going along this way. And it, it just goes, it just reinforces that point where you have an election day you know the people who set up the system weren't dumb they weren't just rubes who didn't know any better we don't need weeks of voting because things change and and the circumstances change and there's no there's no reason to have this length of time unless you just need time to lock in your votes because you've got a better machine uh, to harvest votes to yes. to conduct fraud. That's yep. the only reason to have right. all the mail ballots and weeks and weeks of voting. And uh, it's it's just so unfortunate that that we let this happen because of our fear of covid that we, we let this in the door. And I, I don't know how we get rid of it. It's going to take the Republicans at the Rhode Island State House. Now, Justin, Bernie <laughs> yeah. Sanders came to town. Big rally, big endorsement for Aaron Ruggenberg. There was definitely some, I don't want to say fallout from that, but some other players jockeying. I'll just come right out. As I've been telling you and saying all along, uh, I'm looking for another reason, but I'm, I'm waiting for someone to convince me that Aaron Ruggenberg is not going to win this primary, that he's not the front runner. We're going to talk about the gay ammo. Uh, uh, po- polling coming up that basically showed Ruggenberg now at almost 30 percent uh, of the vote. But just what was your any thoughts on Bernie Sanders coming to town and then that candidate, Stephanie Butte, who uh, is kind of an unusual candidate, but um, she she had a truck riding around. And then, you know, this whole business that Bernie should be coming in and endorsing people of color. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about how there should be a WOC, woman of color, it, and it's almost like uh, Regenberg is is disqualified because of his, his skin color and, and his sex. But I, it's fascinating. I think we're getting a preview here in Rhode Island, and I don't know if other completely blue states like California have experienced this already. I I, I haven't caught wind of it, but we're we're really seeing in this race kind of a a breakdown of of the Democrat coalition because they're so thoroughly in power that each faction is getting is starting to break off and they, they don't have to unify against any Republicans so they can start to break up. So you've got Matos out there campaigning with, with labor unions who are, who are doing her campaign for her. You've got the standard progressives, the Bernie Sanders types going for Regenberg. And then you've got the intersectionalists who say, no, 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 we believe the we believe all of this this uh, superficial skin color and sex stuff we've been spouting for years, and and so that ought to be a, uh, that's more important than any all of our agreements. And it is fascinating to watch this happen. I I happen to agree. I think I think Regenberg's clearly the front runner. I think he, he's it's his to lose at this point. Um, he's bringing in Bernie Sanders. I mean, one caveat: they I I don't believe they held that event with Bernie Sanders in the district, which kind of emphasizes that all the people showing up to watch it. I don't know that they checked their address at the door and only let in people who could actually vote for Regenberg. I tend to doubt it. It was probably more of a, just a right. fundraising kind of thing. But uh, so I, I think it, it's fascinating to see, but I, I think he's, he's at this point got to be considered the front runner. And that's, that's kind of a, kind of a frightening proposition. I, I hope Rhode Islanders start to start to question their, their political values, but that's where we are. 
It is. And on top of that, um, there's parts about this race, Justin. It's This is the result of such a scattered field because, you know, when the debates and we're going to talk about, but like Gabe Ammo, who released polling data, that he says he's number two. I, I actually believe he's coming on strong. He's got a compelling story to tell. He's very impressive on stage. But there's just too many people in the field, even with, um, you know, two more debates. These people are not dropping out. I think, again, I'll go back to the Board of Elections. I think they should have raised the threshold for the number of signatures to qualify to get on. Matos, I, I mean, I actually took the time to watch one of the debates, and you, you just can't get any momentum. He, um, what, One thing that I do like is, make no mistake about it, that he's hated by Governor McKee and like the mainstay of the party. So, But I don't see anyone laying a glove on him. What did you make of Gabe Ammo? He, he's the guy he seems like more of a moderate Democrat. He I think he worked for President Obama. He worked in the Biden White House. He um, he also was featuring a new commercial with them. Charles Baxton. But as much as they try to make comparisons to him as like the Helena folks who came on strong, I don't think there's enough time. And I haven't seen him lay a glove really on Ruggenberg on the debate stage. But what do you make of the polling that he released? Well, it, it did show him coming on strong. I wonder uh, that may be more a symptom of Matos falling and yes. the anybody but Reckenberg Democrats kind of looking for their next their next person. He's at the lead of it, but he's you know he's he's a creature of Washington D.C. and we see these in the races and he's doing he seems to be doing better than they tend to do. You know the people who are connected to Washington D.C. and so Rhode Island is their route to rejoining their friends at another level sure. down yeah. there. Uh, but I, it's it's interesting in that I think part of the problem the Democrats have, and I, I tried to explore this with uh, some of the progressives on social media, and you, you don't get very far. Like, what are your, okay, put aside, you know, Regenberg, Regenberg, rich white guy, whatever, put that aside. What are your policy differences? And that I think is, that is, that is the challenge uh, yeah. for Democrats at this point. I mean, like labor, they're out there campaigning for Matos, but they've got to know whatever she would give them he would give them. And, exactly. and this, is, this is Congress. It's not the governor's office where you can literally promise, I'm going to give you this tens of millions of dollars of work. You know, that you can't do that in Congress as much, especially if you're younger and the other party's in power. But uh, so, but they'll, they know he'll do whatever. And the same thing with the, the, the inside Democrats. They know Regenberg's going to be relatively partisan. And that, in that respect, he's preferable to them, to, than the, to the radicals. Uh, because he'll, I mean, he, one of the, the progressives, the far left's complaints is he, he didn't, he didn't go into the state house and a la Sam Bell start insulting leadership on the floor of the chamber, right? He didn't right. do that. Uh, he, he worked with them. So they know he'll do that. So they, there's really, if you don't like the rich, white, connected Ivy League progressive man, then you've got to start differentiating it can't it can't you can't just say you know what you, you've got to have a policy policy differences where he doesn't outmatch you and that's that's i think where where the, the democrats are and so yeah gabe's relatively promising as far as the um as far as the race goes but but his constituents know they'll get the same out of regenberg and one thing about that commercial i think it was it was funny that everybody spotted m charles Bax, who for listeners who, who may not remember was a columnist for the providence journal Polit uh, political columnist. yeah far left uh and i think what, what struck me with that though is and especially particularly with say the matos commercial or the uh the commercials we got with mckee with with people in the background who turned out to be their you know their mail ballot people and it that would be an interesting thing. I don't know why the news media doesn't make a habit of this. Is digging into these commercials and identifying all the people and saying, "Here's who's in that commercial." I think that would be that would be a very useful service of the the local news media to let people know these are not man on the street interviews. And I think the only way that we would get that to happen is if if a Republican became viable, and then you'd, you'd see, "Oh, this was this person in this gun group. This was this person working for the Koch brothers." But uh, it'd be, that would be very useful if they didn't just put the first name of the people, but the the journalist dug in and, and found out who all these supposed supporters were it does happen sometimes i'll give it in 2014 i was the one that dug in and found that Ramundo cut a commercial and there was a guy it's like a truck driver and then i was the one that uh found out that he had just been in the last year nailed on a dui and so <laughs> they pulled him from the commercial yep. so it, it it can happen folks quick break much more ahead politics this week justin katz managing editor anchorising.com right here on the John DeVito Show. Propane Plus. Call them today. Heating and cooling in Rhode Island, 
885-4209 in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359 for Propane Plus. Three generations you can always depend on Propane Plus for all your heating and cooling. Call them today, 401-885-4209. Three generations, they're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they're going to serve you for a very long time. They have a great user-friendly website. You just log on at propaneplus.com. And then you type in your zip code, residential, commercial, propane plus, heating and cooling, always there for you. Give them a call today in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. In Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. The Johnson family, three generations, heating and cooling. You can always depend on propane plus. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz. Justin, um, I also want to get your reaction, and I think you're exactly right. I was sending you these uh, tweets out by Matos, uh, lieutenant governor, who, by the way, I think has, you know, completely fallen. Um, I think also seeing her on the debate stage, I disagree with these people that say she's really smart. She, um, I still maintain she, she sometimes, I think, struggles with fully understanding the question. I don't find her... I watched her in the debate last week. She was not the most impressive one on the stage. I think, you know, this is an example when Governor McKee do an American Idol and just pull someone based on like identity politics. You don't get the best qualified person, but I don't find anything extraordinary about her. But when you see these photos of her with out there and they're they're ballot harvesting and you see these rugged blue collar workers behind her, they don't believe in her. They don't believe in her policies, but she has cut a deal with them. So basically they'll go out and it's like the highest bidder. And right now, as the lieutenant governor, she seemed to be like the best bet. But what do you mean? She doesn't even hide the fact. And as I say, that's that's not democracy there. It's such blatant ballot harvesting by the special interests. Yeah, I, there, there's a, a good book out there recently from a guy named Philip Howard called Not Accountable, where his argument is we are. Labor unions ought to be in, in government ought to be unconstitutional because they're they're at this point basically electing the management with whom they're negotiating. And I think that's a, that's a very good point. You know, these the labor unions, the members, they don't support Matos. I mean, no. I I worked in construction for years. I know a lot of these folks. On average, they're going to be more conservative than, yeah. than a, the typical Rhode Islander. And this one thing that always amazes me is. is Look what your look what your party is doing to the country, to the state. You know, I know you got a little bit of a boost because they, you know, they your 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 labor union gets some goodies from them. But I but so they're not enthusiastic. They're they're voting based on being able to because well most of them vote because they get that mailer, they get that card, and it says this is who you should vote for. I've seen this at the local level in a big way. They they walk up with the card and they, they just they don't even know the policies. They just know no. I'm supposed to I'm supposed for my pension, I'm supposed to vote for these people. Or for for my my construction job, I'm supposed to vote for these people. And that's not how American representative democracy is supposed to work. And it, it, it's kinda gross. And the idea that it's disappointing that that Nobody seems to see how gross it is at this point. They're they're proud of it, but yeah, I I, I think I agree. Matos, but for that, being, but for McKee being able to sell his soul for the labor unions to stay to stay in office, yeah. I I don't think she'd ha- she'd have a campaign. And, no. and we're watching her fall apart. Every yeah. every political instinct she has seems to be wrong. I mean, she's she's when with the Carlson story break she yeah. she tweets out as a mother i feel for everybody involved and i had they have my hopes and they my my prayers and thoughts and what i mean you're talking a three-year-old i mean at the the worst version of the story is he made a pass at a, a young man three three or four years ago i right. mean that that and she's using language like a school shooting i mean that's it's just <laughs> bizarre and then yeah. and then when he, he drops out and and she she's going after Kano for for accepting her, one of her, her at this point it seems her main competition for third place. Yeah. She's going after Kano for for accepting it. I mean, just just the and and her response just completely outclassed Mato. So she, her her instincts are all wrong. She doesn't seem to have anybody on a campaign who knows what no. they're doing here. And so I, I I think yeah she I expect her to continue to to wallow and and if. If the unions get her over the over the finish line, we'll we'll definitely know how the how the game works. I watched her in the debate last week, 
And I agree with you, Justin. Here's the thing that I'm finding is she, her political instincts are, are terrible. I don't think she's good, meaning Lieutenant Governor Matos at all. When they went around in the debate and said, what grade would you give Governor McKee? Now, people can say it's a stupid question, but it's a question. And there's a lot of different questions. Ruggenberg pauses, prefaces saying, "We he and I have a history, and says, uh, D plus, right? Oh, it's close to come to an F. Matos, this should have been an easy answer. Hey, I'm with that guy. This is where Aaron and I are different. I give him an A. He's working hard. Matos says, well, he's not done, so I give him an incomplete. He, the guy put you on the map. Regardless of what someone thinks of McKee, you just were presented an opportunity to show the audience how you're different than the person that you perceive to be you know, your opponent, which is Ruggenberg. And she whiffs. And the second part of that was last week, she held a press conference telling other people to get out of the race with that Nick Odiello. And then they they actually do her a favor and include the what happened in the debate. And she mishears the question and says, I'm not getting out of the race. But that wasn't the question. The question was, is that a sign of weakness? Again, I want to give credit. Ian Donis presented her with an opportunity to say, what, like, this is the difference between me and point to him. This is the difference between me and Aaron Ruggenberg. I believe this. He believes that. And engage him directly. She she said, I'm not getting out of the race. That wasn't even the question. I, I'm telling you, Justin, I, I mean, I hear people say, well, you know, she's smart. And I, I don't I don't find her smart. I don't find her impressive. Is she likable? Yes. When I've been around her, she's got an easy laugh. Uh, likability in politics can go a long way. But. To me, and again, I don't agree with any of his policies, but I watched that Providence Journal. It was online. Not a lot of people watched it, by the way. At one point I looked, there were 29 people watching. That was me included. But the two most impressive people on that stage were Gabe Ammo and, um, and, and Aaron Ruggenberg. And Ruggenberg, again, as much as I want to be really clear with people, I, you know, I, I can't speak for you. I would never vote for the guy. He is uh, he's actually to the far left of Bernie Sanders. But y- you you can't dismiss someone. He lost to Governor McKee by 2000 votes in that 2018 Democrat primary, taking on an incumbent lieutenant governor. Um, you, you don't do that if you totally don't know what you're doing. And, and you know, it's not like you get blown out. Um, if, if that had, if Ramundo had not been in the race and had a primary against Matt Brown, you certainly make the argument that that Ruggenberg would have would have won. Justin, what's also shouldn't be lost on people was the unions were with Ruggenberg against McKee in that race. He then, you know, had a come to Jesus moment and meeting with them once he became the governor and, you know, flipped and went to the other side. Now, that said, the two Republicans were on Channel 10, 10 News Conference, Terry Flynn and then um, Gary Leonard. Uh, I, I thought it was good to hear the two of them. I, I think it's too bad they could use some seasoning. I'd like to see the two of them, if it's possible, run for a, a state office, to a, a state house, you know, run or rep or senator to get a little more experience. I think Terry Flynn's on the council in Middletown. Um, any thoughts on... Gary Leonard is the the endorsed candidate there. Any thoughts on on that primary? Yeah, well, I, I think you're you're exactly right to say they they well they we'd like to see them in running for local races, and I'd go farther and say they they really have to, and they really should have before this. I mean, that's that's what. What I what I see is a complete lack of strategy, a complete lack of understanding of how politics works in Rhode Island, especially for Republicans. And I, and I think that's that's a shame. I mean, you you walk into it, you, you ought to know you're a long shot. You're probably not going to win. And, you know, that some of their comments and, and I, I, I kind of chuckled when I saw it because I, I, knew, I knew it would catch your eye. But the, a lot of the questions are, what are your thoughts on Trump? <laughs> what about yeah. January 6th? And yeah. they and I think Leonard made himself what, what, however small his, his chances were of winning uh, a general election in Rhode Island, I, I think he, he completely destroyed them by saying, by just responding, Biden is the duly elected president. You know, the, the attorney general, Republican attorney general, the Republican vice president, they both said so. Yeah, okay. You know, a lot of your most enthusiastic base is just going to write you off for, for not being fully Trump. But a lot more are not going to, they're, they're not going to be enthusiastic. Well, first of all, you're not gonna. You're not. 
there's Democrats are too unified, too much of a, frankly, a cult, a political cult to, to say, oh, well, he's reasonable. I'll vote for him because I don't like the, I don't like Regenberg. They're not going to do that on a Democrat side. At best, they'll right. stay home if they don't like Regenberg. And your base is not going to be enthusiastic. They want somebody, even if you say, look, I think Biden one, but I think the whole thing stunk. They want to hear somebody say that. They want to say, hear yeah. somebody say, the, you've got the intelligence community lying about Hunter's laptop. You've got the news media with the bias. You've got the rules changing during COVID. Talk they want to hear that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They will, Republican voters, even relatively moderate ones, want to know you're going to be going out there. And frankly, I think these candidates, I don't know why they're running. I don't know what made them think they had a chance. Fine, you know, they've got the, they've got a, they've got a, the right to do it but they kind of have in my view a responsibility to go in there and and voice this stuff because a lot of the this people who are watching wpri people who are watching wjr province journal all these a lot of their audience will never have heard these points because they're in a bubble and so if you're going to run on our side you have to use that opportunity you can be very very reasonable about it but you have to use that opportunity to say there was a lot that was going wrong there and i think we need to investigate investigate that now if you want to say at the end of the day biden's duly elected president okay fine i think that works but if you don't do that you don't have a path to victory and i i you don't even i don't think you even have a chance to do to do to get above the standard republican what 33 percent and so i think i think that's that's where we are and it, what struck me though on a, on a plus side what i like about conservatives and Republicans is he, uh, Leonard certainly was was much more comfortable talking like a policy and once they got into energy we need reliables not renewables was a good line yeah. uh, he, he was much more comfortable that's what he wants to do that's what he wants to talk about which which I like about Republicans but it, it's not going to win the race because of this other stuff where you, you you're not breaking through the cult because they never hear your political side of the audience uh, argument and so they'll they'll just they'll vote against you because you may sound reasonable on Trump, but those darn Republicans are not reasonable. And then, and, uh, and social issues too. I thought in Kathy Gregg's article on the debate, she she said he, Leonard bucked the the national Republican line by saying abortion is a state issue. Now, I may have missed something, but I've been in conservative opinion and conservative politics for a long time, which tends to be Republican. And my understanding is that is the national Republican line, that it's a state right. issue. So well, I don't know what kind of bubble Kathy Gregg's in that she thinks that's kind of, that's bucking the, the Republicans when, and Republicans, the Republican party line is a national ban. I don't know what, what Kool-Aid she's been drinking, but I think that that points to the fact that the, the, the audiences of these news media don't get the real story and so if you're there you need to you need to straighten that out before any kind of niceness or reasonableness about biden being a legitimate president which for the record i don't think he is but uh before you even can, that even will even matter you've got to address these uh, these other misconceptions you know we answered that question very well and i don't know if you caught it but it was on meet the press vivek swan von ronswami when asked about what pence should have done on january 6th he got into the fact that he had an opportunity and should have you know, started uh, focusing on reforms that need to come in. And I found that refreshing. And as I go back to Justin, if you remember last November, I was the one that I said, I didn't think Alan Funk should have conceded. I think when he got 4,000 mail ballots, Magazine got 14,000. I think you should have used that opportunity to draw attention to the ballot harvesting and call for change uh, and, and not and, and make the media focus on the issue because they're certainly paying attention because of the signature scandal. And now with the Carlson thing, the Republican Party needs to find these windows of opportunity to to, in, you know, to get the change and not be part of just like be called an election denier. One thing I'll say about the Republicans, if it is Ruggenberg, and I think it's going to be, if anything, it could set up an incredible opportunity because he's so far to the left. You might be able to get some of those moderate Dems to come into your camp. Again, I don't know whoever emerges as the winner of that primary, I think it's going to be Gary Leonard. If, if he's, if, if he's not, if he had more experience, he might be able to take advantage of it. I'm not sure that he could. And, and I also don't think that the Republicans strategically understand that what you're explaining about going for the right office, you know, after the, the last November election of all people, Bruce, Bob Walsh had said, you know, what they were really nervous about was Ashley Kalis was if she went for Lieutenant governor someone who was willing to spend $3 million, her against Matos, that 
And he's not wrong. I think that would have been a more winnable election. So as much as the Republicans were very hesitant, and I'll give credit, Gene Belsenti said, what does it say that this is a congressional seat? Neither one of you really have that much experience. I think um, if it's Regenberg, I think it's it would be so like I, that's a race. Larry Leonard against Aaron Regenberg. You couldn't find two people that are more different. But I don't know if the Republicans are going to have uh, the wherewithal to be able to capitalize on that and take advantage of it. But it's actually to me, that's a better matchup of the Republican that let's just say if it was like a Stephen Casey or even that Gabe Ammo. Folks, again, um, go any any uh, final. Th- I'll give you the last word, Justin. Yeah, no, I, I, I've heard that and I agree with it. You know, that Regenberg will be easier to, to beat than some of the others. Um, and in a general, I think, yeah. yeah, in a general election. Yeah. I, I think I, what I think of is somebody, somebody like a Fung, you know, Matos uh, was saying, Matos with her incomplete, saying McKee is incomplete, his, his grade. Uh, that, that signals to their base, like, you can't buy and sell. She'll she'll stab you in the back, even if you think yes. you've bought older. And if you have somebody like Fung, who's got a history of working with, the inside labor unions, uh, Matt, Fung versus Matos, he'd ha- he might be able to he'd pull that one out, I think. But yeah. I, I, at this point, I don't, you know, I think Regenberg's more electable, but I don't, I think we're, the primary is electing the, electing the congressperson. Okay. And so okay. I don't, I don't think there's any, you, you, hoping for the more beatable Democrat in the race is, is only getting the worst outcome. Folks, again, he is the managing editor at AnchorRising.com. It's Justin Katz, uh, segment of politics this week. Justin, excellent job as always. We're in the home stretch of this race, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. Talk to you soon. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Vivek Ranswamy was on Meet the Press. He was asked about Mike Pence on January 6th. Listen to his answer. It's so refreshing to hear. Across generations, that helps unite Americans around the America First agenda rather than making it a strictly partisan affair. Uh, let me bring up a couple questions you didn't get a chance to answer at the debate. Most of the candidates on stage Wednesday night said Mike sure. Pence did the right thing on January 6th. Do you agree? I would have done it very differently. I think that there was a historic opportunity that he missed to reunite this country in that window. What I would have said is this is a moment for a true national consensus where there's two elements of what's required for a functioning democracy in America. One is secure elections, and the second is a peaceful transfer of power. When those things come into conflict, that's an opportunity for heroism. Here's what I would have said. We need single-day voting on Election Day. We need paper ballots, and we need government-issued ID matching the voter file. And if we achieve that, then we have achieved victory, and we should not have any further complaint about election integrity. So what would, so what I would, would have you driven have done it through the Senate. So what would you have done as, with Mike Pence? You would have so not certified the election? So in... In my capacity as president of the Senate, I would have led through that level of reform, then on that condition certified the election results, served it up to the president, yeah. President Trump then to sign that into law, and on January 7th declared the re-election campaign pursuant to a free and fair election. Wow. I think that was a missed opportunity, but that's the kind right. of spirit we're going to need like to that. unite this country rather right. than sweeping those concerns under the rug. Eleven months ago, well, excuse me, and what, no, excuse me. I just stop that for a moment. Folks, you, hear, you know how refreshing it is to hear someone say that compared to the Senate Minority Leader? Well, I got elected, and the Republicans at the Rhode Island State House with their ostrich head in the sand that pretend that our elections in Rhode Island are anything close to legitimate with all this ballot harvesting? It's ludicrous. He is exactly right. Boy, I, I, I the more I hear him, the more I am impressed at his unapologetic views, and especially on things that really matter, like voting. It is so refreshing to hear that. Let's let let the interview continue again. This is Vivek on Meet the Press. Change that result. I'm just responding to data on both fronts. But the fact of the matter is, if we're looking at reuniting this country, there are uh, serious concerns. Hold on, folks. I apologize. Let me bring it up. Um, here we In go. a way we can address that census to be able to rally around and that's how i'll lead as president here it is first of all you never talked about the tech stuff in your book this is a new thing it Actually, is not false chuck it, it's it, it, you have not chuck, talked about this hundred five nation of victims a, a, aspect aspect of it we were looking chuck for I, I think you have not i think you have not read nation i think you have not read nation of victims literally read the book there is about 20 pages of content devoted yeah, to this and i also bring it up write about case. election so fraud that it, way it, it's fine but you, you don't but have an obligation to read my book but because but if you, you do because you said, we, well, we have been, and let me quote it again. 
We use, you're referring to Republicans, we use stolen election theories as a backdoor to embracing our own victim identity uh, path, pursuing an easy path to power. Throughout this entire book, you mock the entire January 6th aspect. You, you absolutely criticize Donald Trump for being a sore loser. You write about it in a way of making your point that you've be, we've become a nation of victims. And right now on TV, you're doing the exact opposite. I'm not. Chuck, I actually want to be very clear. I preached to conservative audiences last... I was in Iowa over the last two days, and what do I tell them? We're not going to be victims. We're going to be victorious. Good. Whether I'm talking to the left or the right, I say the same thing. I've also been very clear, Chuck, and I want to be clear today, that I would have made very different judgments than Donald Trump did that day and on many of the matters in his path out of office. But there's a difference between a bad judgment and a crime. And what I've been clear about is when we criminalize those bad judgments, that's an abuse of the justice system. It undermines trust not only in our elections but in our justice system. We have to be able to draw those distinctions. And I do think, Chuck, it's going to take that kind of leader who can actually yeah. preach truth to both tribes in this country to reunite this country. So did Donald Trump make all the right judgments? No, I said so then, I say so now. Was that illegal and should we criminalize it? Absolutely not. But I want to lead this nation forward. That is my goal, not to look in the rearview mirror. And in order to do that, I think on the election integrity issue, we have an opportunity to put this de debate behind us by single-day voting on election day as a national holiday with paper ballots and government-issued ID. This should not be controversial. And if that helps reunite this country, yeah. as I believe it will, that's exactly how I must lead as president. And that's my commitment. All right. What I like is him uh, with this stance is going to move things further along. And again, I want to emphasize, it's so refreshing to hear someone call into question what we all see. Look at the the race right now. This is ridiculous. Sabina Matos signs a blank check to the special interest. They don't believe in her positions. They own her. She's a puppet. And all they're doing is going out and they're collecting signatures for her in the form of ballot harvesting to push her over the finish line. And one of the biggest problems we have in the state, I'm not condoning, certainly not what the Democrats are doing, but my problem is the party who should be speaking up and calling them out on it are the Republicans of the Rhode Island State House, and they all sit on their hands. This signature scandal with Matos is the opportunity we've been waiting for. And the fact of the matter is, it's nothing. They're not changing anything because of it. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Pop in and see them, whether it's for lunch, nice weather, you can sit outside on the deck or maybe sit in the dining room, delicious food. Then they also have a great full bar, large dining area, and you're going to love the lounge. The Lodge Pub and Eatery. People rave about their delicious, consistent, great food and also the great staff. I'll see you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Make sure to find the John DePietro Show Facebook page and you can watch all the action on the scene live stream. Follow it all real time live stream just follow john dipetro show right there on the facebook page